0: What the hell is going on? What's really going on? We said, what the hell happened? You don't have to know what the hell is on it.
1: They they see what's going on. I don't know what's going on. What is going on? We must find out what is going on.
0: Hi, I'm Danielle Fletcher.
1: And I'm Mark Deason. Welcome to our podcast, what the hell is going on, Mark? What the hell? So we're talking about my annual Washington Post columns, which I do at the end of every year, listing the 10 best things that Donald Trump did and the 10 worst things Donald Trump did. On the previous episode, we went through the 10 best things that Donald Trump did as president. But I like to call balls and strikes, and I don't hold back when the president does something wrong. And so I have a top 10 list of the 10 worst things that Donald Trump did. And Danny's going to enjoy this one a lot more than she did the last one, because she ended up agreeing with most of my list of the 10 best things that Donald Trump did. And I think she'll agree with the 10 worst things as well. I'm not sure they're the 10 worst things, because I feel like there are at least 100 worst things. But uh,
0: I'm sure that I will agree with all of yours. Start with number 10.
1: All right. Number 10. He ridiculously claimed that our country is full. We are not full. What does that even mean? This was during the crisis on the border and people coming in when we had the surge of, uh, of the caravans. And he said, we can't take any more people. Our country is full. It's just, it's possibly the most absurd thing an American president has ever said about immigration since the founding of the republic.
0: Yes, it truly was an outrageous and absurd thing to say, and just also so contrary to the things that we stand for. You know, we are, to coin a phrase, a nation of immigrants, and the idea that somehow we don't have room for good people who share our values, who want to work hard, who want to deliver a better life to their kids... That is just nuts. Dri- drove me crazy. You are totally right. You Awful. Know,
1: and I will tell you this. It's not just that we have room for them. We need them. One of my top 10 best things that Donald Trump did is that he's delivering for forgotten Americans. Our unemployment rate is at a 50-year low. We actually have 1.7 million more job openings than we have unemployed people to fill them. That is a huge economic success story. But the problem is... Is that we don't have enough workers to fill the jobs. If you want to grow the economy at a 3% GDP rate, the way the president says, the only way to do that is with workers. And where are we going to get the workers? And add to that, we are now not even having children at a replacement rate for the first time in a very long time. So we're not even replacing ourselves. If it wasn't for immigrants, our population would be declining. And so if Donald Trump wants to keep the economy going, he needs workers. And if he needs workers and, you know, the millennials are not having babies because they're not getting married, so we need to find them somewhere, we need immigrants. Donald Trump needs immigrants in order to fulfill his agenda of getting the country economically moving again.
0: Completely correct. Look, you know, we agree. The, uh, the only issue is I'm going to argue about the things you've left out.
1: Go well, for number nine. It is a top 10 list, Danny. <laughs> Number nine. He used anti-Semitic tropes to attack his enemies. So this requires a little explaining. Trump absolutely correctly called out Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib for their anti-Semitism. And one of the things that they said that was so virulently anti-Semitic is that Israel's supporters in Congress are disloyal to America. This is just a classic anti-Semitic trope. And after doing that, Trump went out and said any Jewish people that vote for a Democrat show great disloyalty. In other words, using the same exact anti-Semitic trope that they used, which he was criticizing them for being anti-Semites. Yeah, look, we've talked about the rise of anti-Semitism and
0: our profound concerns about that. We have the director of the Auschwitz-Birkenau uh, Foundation, the Museum, on to talk about this. This is something I don't understand, why it is that it, in times of economic stress and in times of, of populism that anti-Semitism returns. And I know that there are plenty of people who love Donald Trump and hate the Jews, but the fact that he was willing to say something so dumb, and I know it was founded in stupidity and not in anti
1: I agree with that 100%.
0: He's not an anti-Semite, unlike Russia's life and unlike AOC, but still, you know, you're the president, you know, shut the you know what up. If you don't know what you're talking about, just don't talk.
1: Well, that will be a consistent (laughs) theme of this top 10 list, because there's some other things we're going to call him out for. But let's go to the next one. Number eight. He said the Soviet Union was right to invade Afghanistan and congratulated China on the 70th anniversary of the communist takeover. I'm just speechless at this one, Danny.
0: (laughs) WTF. You know, honestly, again, we've had plenty of stupid presidents in history, and being a good politician doesn't make you a smart person. God knows, you know, we spend lots of time criticizing Joe Biden for saying dumb, dumb stuff. What the hell was this all about? Yeah, I know you've never read a history book, you don't know what you're talking about, but. What?
1: No, I know. I mean, he said he said that he didn't even say the USSR. He said Russia. Russia invaded Afghanistan because terrorists were going into Russia, and then he said they were right to be there. I did a blog post at a, uh, in which I reprinted a 1980 declassified cable that explains precisely what motivated the Soviet invasion, and the cable points out that there was no. Muslim unrest in the Soviet Union at the time. So there were no terrorists coming in from Afghanistan into Russia. It's not true. And the reason they went in is because they were trying to prevent the collapse of a Soviet puppet regime by a regime that would have been friendly to America. And they were concerned that that would send a signal to all the other puppet regimes around the world to destabilize their control of all their satellites. And then for China, to congratulate China on the... Look, we talked about this in the in the Top 10 Best podcast. Donald Trump's China policy is by far superior to both his Republican and Democratic predecessors. He's been tough on China. He's stood with Hong Kong. He's stood with the Uyghurs. He's using tariffs to force a deal to try and get them to stop stealing our intellectual property. This is all to the good. But the Chinese Communist Party, there's a book called The Black Book of Communism which was published a few years ago by a bunch of scholars, and they tried to calculate the death toll of communism in the 20th century. They ended up with a figure of 100 million people who were killed by communist regimes. You know how many were killed by Chinese communist regime of that 100 million? 65 million people. This is the literally the most murderous regime in the history of the world. And communism is not something to be congratulated. It's a tragedy for the Chinese people.
0: Look, no, no disagreement. Uh, a disgrace, an embarrassment. Never should have said it. And you know, doesn't doesn't learn from these mistakes. Doesn't learn from these mistakes at all. Uh, this this is a part of the fight that he has on Capitol Hill that gives credence to his accusers about his soft spot for dictators is the unbelievable dumbass things he says about Russia, about China, about Turkey. And not only are they rooted in this repulsive sympathy for men who rule with an iron hand, they're rooted in just shameless ignorance. All right, number seven.
1: Number seven. He lost a needless government shutdown fight. So in 2018, the Senate Appropriations Committee approved $1.6 billion for border fencing, which is what Donald Trump wants. And he wanted his full request of $5.7 billion. And so he decided to shut the government down. And it took 35 days, tons of bad press, all the incredible costs that come with a government shutdown. And he ended up getting less than the $1.6 billion that had been bipartisan approval by the Senate appropriations. I mean, he got $1.38 billion, So he would have gotten more money if he had just gone along with that deal than he got by shutting down the government.
0: All right. But why? Why, why did this happen? This government shutdown thing, it makes us look like a banana republic. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I don't get it on the part of Democrats. I don't get it on the part of Republicans. I don't understand. This goes to something that I rant about a lot on TV. I don't understand why Congress is incapable of passing appropriations bills. Amen. Why? It's inexplicable. And for the American people who look to all of these members of Congress and to the White House for leadership to say, hey, you know, you guys are deadbeats out in America who can't pay your credit card bills and can't make your bills on time, and you're going to pay penalties. Oh, but we can't get the federal budget done. We can't pay federal employees. That's how bad we are. It's just third world garbage. It's
1: terrible. But you know, let's let's give credit Trump a little bit of credit here, which is that the Democrats we're also willing to shut down the government in order to not give him funding for his border wall. And the reality is is that the only reason they are against a wall is cuz Donald Trump wants it. Because before Donald Trump was president, when they had the Gang of 8 negotiations, most of the current Democratic leaders signed on to the Gang of 8 bill which not only funded a border wall but actually said that there would not be any normalization of the status of like the, the dreamers until the Secretary of Homeland Security certified that I think it was something like eight or 900 miles of border fencing had been built and was complete. And Chuck Schumer signed on to that, and Nancy Pelosi signed on to that. But because Donald Trump wants to build a border wall, all of a sudden, they're against it before they were for it. You know, it's, it's just absurd. So you know, Donald Trump should not have shut down the government about this, but there's nothing wrong with a border wall. Just, it's just, it's, it's common sense. Why not let him build the wall?
0: We just talked about it. The nation is full. You know, when you say stuff like that, when you call Mexicans rapists, when you talk about, you know, Muslim immigrants... He did not, no, that's unfair. German. I got to stop
1: you, Danny. He didn't call Mexicans rapists. He said that there were Mexican rapists coming in, that the, the the drug gangs and the criminals and rapists were coming in. He didn't say every Mexican who's coming in here is a rapist.
0: Uh, all right. You choose to die on that hill there, Mark. But... Uh... <laughs> I, let's, I don't defend but, that but, rhetoric,
1: but that's let's let's you know.
0: But, but that's the problem is that you know in each of these cases, you're right. It's a top ten list, but our nation is not run through a series of soda straws in which you can look at things and say, "Oh, this is good, but that's bad." You just said that one of the worst things that he did was that he, that he said our nation was full. But that's not the only you know terrible thing he said about immigrants or about immigration, and you know it, we've agreed about Amen. this. Whether it's Muslims or it's Mexicans, we agree 100%, you and I are both super pro-immigration. The problem here is that this has not become an issue about the wall anymore. You can say that a wall works, certainly the wall between the Israelis and the Palestinians on the West Bank has been hugely effective. You know, the Berlin Wall was built for a reason. I get it. Okay. I get that there's an argument for this, but, 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 but you cannot separate that from his absolutely heinous attitudes on immigration, from the vile people who are inside this administration who are actually bigots and haters. And that's the problem for him is he besmirches the legitimate things he wants to do with his other vile rhetoric and actions.
1: Number six. He used his emergency authority to circumvent Congress on the border wall. So after losing that shutdown fight, Danny, he used the National Emergencies Act to appropriate funds for a policy that Congress had specifically refused to do legislatively. Now, you could argue that that was, a, as I just did, that that was a ridiculous decision not to do it. But guess what? They're Article I of the Constitution. And that was a direct assault on Congress's Article I powers. And you know, it was also, by the way, completely unnecessary because, as you and I know, as geeks who worked on Capitol Hill on budgeting issues, he has some reprogramming authority where he actually could have taken some money out of the Treasury Department, out of the Pentagon uh, budget, and used that without invoking national emergency authorities and gotten as much money. So it was unnecessary. He just wanted to use that power to tell Congress, I can do this to you. And the Republicans on Capitol Hill shamefully went along with him. Hey. See my
0: previous rant of agreement with you on this particular topic and others. And I've said everything I think about both Congress and its fecklessness and the border wall and the president's fecklessness. You just marry the two of those things and you've got fecklessness squared. Number five.
1: He continued to spread the canard that America is fighting endless wars.
0: Yeah. Well, we had a brief but pleasant argument on this topic when we uh, interviewed the, the Secretary of State. And that's the problem, isn't it? That, uh, that the president spends... Uh, you, do you remember when we were talking to Representative Mike Walsh? Yes. We interviewed him in one of the earlier podcasts. It was great. And we asked him where the hell the president gets this sort of rhetoric. And he goes, Rand Paul, hey, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I guess the only good thing that you can say is Rand Paul is nominally speaking a Republican whereas the other people who use this expression, uh, Bernie Sanders and all of the Democratic candidates, Barack Obama uh, are, are not. Yeah. I know. Look, it's, these are not endless wars for a whole variety of reasons that you and I have discussed more than once on this podcast. And to suggest that the accomplishments of our soldiers and that the losses that we have suffered and now have minimized to such a huge extent are part of some sort of endless failed, you know, adventure overseas—it's just gross.
1: Well, look, I agree with that, and I will add that Americans look at these wars. And they justifiably look and say, look, we've been at this for 18 years. When are we going to win? When are we going to succeed? And first of all, it's the job of the president to tell them, you know, we actually don't have hundreds of thousands of troops deployed in these places anymore. And oh, by the way, we've got, you know, if you add up the troops that are in Afghanistan and Syria and Iraq, I think we're down to like 10,000 in Afghanistan, we're down to 1,000 in Syria, we're down to about 5,000 in Iraq. So you're talking you know, 16,000 troops compared to hundreds of thousands of troops at the height of the war. And our troops are actually not doing most of the fighting. They are enablers. We have hundreds of thousands of Syrian Democratic forces, Afghan forces, Iraqi forces that we have trained and armed. And they're the pointy end of the spear now. They're the ones who are going after our enemies in these countries. They can't do it without us because we have certain technology and capability and skills that they don't have. We provide them with fire support. We provide them with mission planning. We provide them with air power that they don't have and special operations capabilities like forward air controllers who can go in and paint targets for them. But you know we're not doing most of the fighting. We have recruited indigenous forces in these countries who are willing to risk their lives and take the casualties in the fight against America's enemies and to suggest that we're still doing the same thing and that we're still stuck in these endless wars when the reality is we've got allies who are taking the, the deaths and the injuries, the largest part of them, and that's the right strategy. That's how we transition out of these conflicts is not by packing up and going home and hoping they, oh, but I hope Al-Qaeda doesn't come back and do another 9-11. If you don't want to send hundreds of thousands of Americans to fight these wars, we got to have allies. And we're not, our allies are not going to be willing to fight unless we're there to help them on the ground.
0: Yep. Hey man, you're right. They're wrong. He <laughs> shouldn't do this. I wish he would stop saying it. I wish he would recognize that this is an expression that is used by people don't support American leadership in the world, who don't believe that America is a great country, who don't believe that what America does in the world is a net good. And uh, I don't know, maybe he'll learn in the second term,
1: God willing. He uses the same exact rhetoric as Barack Obama, you know, even during the campaign. Barack Obama said, we've got to stop nation building abroad and start nation building here at home. And Trump literally uses... The same language. So, if you, I know there are some conservatives out there who are, you know, against these endless wars. Keep in mind. I hope you were saying the same thing when Barack Obama was president, supporting his pull out of Iraq that led to the rise of ISIS. Because this is the element of the Trump foreign policy that is completely indistinguishable from the Obama foreign policy.
0: Yep, it is. And it, you know, it's <sighs> it's a disgrace. I wish the Democratic candidates would stop saying it. I wish Donald Trump would stop
1: saying it. What's number four? Number four. He continues to attack dead people. <laughs> so, Donald. What's
0: that? What's that? Who does it? Who does this? Who, who does this?
1: <laughs> so, to, to put this in context, Donald Trump has a minimum of high regard for the late Senator John McCain and uh, really hated him because of his vote against Obamacare. But even before that, he just couldn't stand him, said he wasn't a hero because he got captured and all these ridiculous things. And then John McCain comes down with brain cancer and dies. And Donald Trump, it's still his one of his go-to applause lines at these rallies attacking John McCain. Not always by name, but everybody knows. We lost by one vote. Ho, ho, ho. So now Congressman John Dingell passes away. He's succeeded in office by his wife, Debbie Dingell, who's taken that seat, and he dies and Donald Trump approves the funding for a you know congressional the honors and uh, and all the niceties that the president has at his disposal to honor a congressman who served for many many years with distinction and then Debbie Dingell voted for impeachment and Trump just went off on him and started talking about how ungrateful she was and then said and John Dingell's looking at this from up from up above or maybe from down below it's like this woman's about to spend her first Christmas without her husband, and you say something like that? Good Lord. He's a charmer.
0: <laughs> what can we say? You know, you're so insecure that you need to attack dead people. It's pathetic. No other word for it. Just and, pathetic.
1: And this is also, Danny, you know, one of the reasons why, I think it was Amy Walter who from Cook Political Report, who's a really good analyst of these things, and she she pointed out that you want to know why... Despite this booming economy, Donald Trump might not win re-election. Do you want to know why despite all the economic progress we're making, Donald Trump is at, you know, low 40s in approval rating? This is why. And that's exactly right. This stuff is so self-destructive because there are so many Millions of Americans out there. We went through our 10 best list and we talked about the economy and how it's working for people across the economic spectrum, including a lot of people who didn't vote for Donald Trump. And there are lots of people who are benefiting from Donald Trump's policies, but just don't like Donald Trump personally and can't bring themselves to pull the lever for him. And he should be, as president, trying to win them over and say, look, I know you didn't support me, but I'm delivering for you and I really want your vote. And instead he says stuff like this that just takes those people and said, I'm never going to vote for Donald Trump. He's not doing anything to win over people. He All he does is feed his base. He does nothing to try and win over people who are gettable. If you just behave like a normal human being, he doesn't even try.
0: Yeah, well, he doesn't even try. And that's our theme. If he just behaved like a normal human being, he wouldn't be Donald Trump. Yep. What's number three? Speaking of not behaving like a normal human being.
1: Number three, he asked the president of Ukraine to investigate the Bidens. I can't even believe I said those words. Danny! Uh, You know, his phone call, he keeps saying his phone call with the president of Ukraine was perfect. It was not perfect. It may not be impeachable. I think we both agree it's not an impeachable offense. It was not perfect. And something like 70% of Americans say it's not perfect. You do not ask the leader of a foreign country to investigate your political rivals in a phone call with you where he's talking about literally the, the survival of his country. it's just, You just don't do that. And you know, Donald Trump did something wrong. This is the difference between this and the Mueller probe. In the Mueller probe, it was all a conspiracy theory. He did not collude with the Russians. The Mueller investigation found that decisively. And after the Mueller probe came out, and cleared him of those charges. He had, an, again, same theme. He had an opportunity. There were millions of people who were told Donald Trump is a traitor. He was a Russian agent, uh, you know, by people like John Brennan, who should know better. And they took those charges seriously because that's really serious charge. And they waited for Mueller to come in and give them a verdict. And it turned out it wasn't true. What an opportunity to say to those people, you know what, you were lied to about me. I ask you for a second look. And instead, the very next day, he does this and gives them a pretext to impeach him. And now he's been impeached by the House of Representatives, only third president in history, because of this stupidity.
0: Well, but that in addition to venality, there's also stupidity and there's the ignorance. So, yeah this has been gone over again and again and again. Who does this sort of thing? You know, you and I have talked about why we don't think this is impeachable. We've also talked about why this is just so, so wrong. And that doesn't exonerate Hunter Biden. You know, none of us, I'm always, you know, it's the token conservative on a whole variety of panels. I always try to explain, you know, no, just because Donald Trump hates him doesn't make Hunter Biden a nice or an innocent or a good guy. But, the fact that he's willing to do this just makes you ask, what what is he saying to other people? What does he say in these meetings when he doesn't want a translator? What does he say in these meetings when he doesn't want a transcript? I don't get it.
1: I don't get it either. And look, I will come in with the with the caveat that Donald Trump did deliver before all this happened lethal assistance to Ukraine to defend itself against Russia. The Obama administration, Joe Biden, who's now standing on his high horse and saying these are impeachable offenses, when he was the point man on Ukraine, they didn't deliver lethal aid to the Ukrainians. They turned it down. The Ukrainians said, we need RPGs, and they gave them MREs, which are basically food rations. It was shameful. And Trump did deliver that aid before. And this was a 50, I think it was a 55-day delay in this delivery. And he's delivered it again. His next budget includes more lethal aid for Ukraine. So the policy is good, but this this was just so unnecessary and just amateurish and You know, horrible, depressing, depressing, depressing. depressing. Yep.
0: But folks, we can do you one better. Let's go to number two.
1: Okay, so I had a big dispute between number one and number two, which should be in the front of the list. So let's let's see if you agree with my decision. Number two, he invited Taliban leaders to Camp David.
0: I have to admit, knowing what number one is, I agree with the order that you just put this in. We talked about the Taliban in Camp David with uh, General Dave Petraeus when we had him on the podcast. That was a great podcast, by the way, for folks who want to have a listen because Afghanistan's in the news again. And this is just, this is so offensive. And it was part and parcel of this endless war mania the president has. He'll do anything to get out. He doesn't care about what the symbolism of Camp David is or the White House or the presidency. You know, everything is about Donald Trump and about his, his whims of the moment. That Camp David thing and the week of 9-11 was just gross.
1: So to just put this in the context, two things that people need to know about this. Number one, these Taliban leaders would have been sitting at the very table where President Bush and U.S. officials planned the overthrow of their regime in order to accept the terms of what they would have sold as America's surrender in that war. And the people who he was inviting, do you remember under the Obama administration, going back to top 10 worst things that Barack Obama ever did, is that he released the Taliban five, these five Taliban leaders from Guantanamo Bay, In exchange for that deserter, Bowie Bergdahl, who we talked also talked about with Congressman Mike Waltz on an earlier podcast, because he was actually the one who went out uh, tried to rescue Bowie Bergdahl when when he deserted. So we would have had literally Trump was inviting Guantanamo Bay detainees that Obama released to sit at a table at Camp David where world leaders sat. I mean, it's just unbelievable.
0: I suppose they kind of stomped on a, a portrait of George Washington or America or Abraham Lincoln when they walked in to make this worse. But otherwise, it's a it's a pretty uh, that's a pretty good uh, meeting of all bad things all at once. And it's it's hard for me to believe that you can that you can top it. But you can go ahead <laughs> top it. What's the number one worst thing that Donald Trump did this year in your opinion, Mark?
1: Number one. He gave Turkey a green light to invade Syria and attack our Kurdish allies. The Kurds suffered 11,000 casualties in the fight with the Islamic State. The Kurds gave us the critical lead that led us to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi's doorstep. And we just, Donald Trump told the Turkish president, yeah, go ahead. Not in so many words, but he gave him the green light to go in and wipe these people out.
0: No, that's absolutely right. And this is where, you know, I think you and I disagreed a little bit in the, the podcast with the Secretary of State, where he sort of seemed to insinuate, no, you know, we've done a ton for the Kurds. Well, we have. But, you know, that's like leading somebody, uh, you know, out of a burning conflagration and then turning around and shooting them in the face. You know, there's no question. We did a lot for the Kurds, but the Kurds have done even more for us. They have been the kind of ally, the kind of proxy that, that we want in this world. And our betrayal of the Kurds yet again is, is a national shame. Uh, there's nothing more to be said about it than that.
1: Well, there's one more thing to be said about it, which is it's not just a moral question of how did we stand with the Kurds, is if you don't want to fight endless wars, you need allies. And who's going to step forward? to be our ally and to take on the fight when they see the way we treated the Kurds, because do you want to be the Kurds next? You want to be the next one? So if we want allies in this fight, we've got to stand by our allies when they're in trouble, because otherwise nobody's going to step up and do the fighting and more Americans are going to have to be deployed and more Americans are going to die because we abandoned our allies.
0: That's right. On that ignominious note... We could go on and on, but I think you made a really interesting point at the end of the article when you talked about the previous year's bottom 10 list, if we can call it that, the top 10 worst things. Mm-hmm. You made a really interesting point about style and substance. If Donald Trump listens to one sentence that you utter or two sentences that you utter, I hope it'll be these. Explain what you said.
1: I do this litany every year, the, the one column on the best, one column on the worst. In my worst lists usually in the past years as I looked through them, are mostly mistakes of style, not substance. And this year, there's a bunch of stylistic ones. Four of the 10 are stylistic ones, but that's still a majority that are substantive problems. And I think this year, the seriousness of the substantive mistakes grew. On balance, I I take my two columns and I put them side by side, and I think the good much outweighs the bad. But the the bad is getting worse, and that's worrisome. Believe me, I don't think I'd be able to contain my worst to 10 if uh, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders were president of the United States. But that doesn't absolve the bad at all.
0: It doesn't absolve the bad. And in an election year where you're looking to a question of as yet unnamed Democrat versus Donald Trump unleashed, when you see these problems of substance, when you see that he's getting worse, that is something that should worry all of us, not just Republicans, not just national security folks. But all Americans, I wish, I wish that he were a more responsible leader. I really do. But we've got who we've got, and we'll have another year to talk about all of the good things and the bad things, the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to 2020. I- I've really enjoyed doing this podcast this year with you, Mark, and I've,
1: I have I've too, enjoyed.
0: Dad. I've enjoyed getting emails from people. I've enjoyed. Uh, I've enjoyed being able to to learn from our really amazing guests. So and we're we going to have
1: even more of them in the year ahead.
0: So keep joining us. Keep sending us your suggestions. And we really, I know from both of us, from the Southern from the southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere, we wish everybody a safe and a healthy and a happy new year.
1: Take care. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Winesett, Jen Moretta, and Macy Heath. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehellataei.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the
0: podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this.
1: Thanks for listening.